Welcome to the Grow Your Independent Consulting Business Podcast. I'm Melissa Lieberman, a fellow IC and business coach. On this podcast, I teach you to become a consistently booked independent consultant without becoming a pushy salesperson or working 24-7. If I can do it, you can too. Listen on to find out how. Today on the podcast, I'm so thrilled and honored to bring an interview to you. It's an interview that I recently did with my client and also now a friend. Her name is Leanne Legasse. And Leanne actually met me through the podcast and reached out and we've worked together and really helped her relaunch her business. And so we'll dive into that in a lot more detail here in the interview. But I always just love how these moments become full circle moments when someone finds me through the podcast and we get to work together and then they come on the podcast to share so many learnings from their own personal experience as an independent consultant. So I'm so excited for you to hear Leanne's experience. She's going to share with you such a broad range of insights and tips and strategies, but a few that I would love to point out here are First and foremost, Leanne is incredibly clear on what her niche is, who her ideal clients are, what she does for those ideal clients, what value she and results she delivers for those clients. And as a result of that, she's created an incredibly uh, uh, strong offer, consulting services offer. She's created a very strong reputation where people think of her immediately when they need a consultant who does what she does. And she's created this really go-to reputation in her industry. And so I'm really excited for you to hear from Leanne and how she's created these really clear offerings, how she's developed and cultivated this reputation, and ultimately how she's been able to price it from a value-based pricing approach rather than hourly or time-based approach and really successfully launched her consulting business. And this is similar to Nicola. If you heard her on a prior episode, Leanne is also in her second iteration of her consulting business. She had started, well, I might even say third iteration. She had started out as more of a side gig and then she uh, launched it in partnership with someone else. And then more recently decided to go out on her own in a truly independent form of her business. So she shares with you that journey as well. And some of the lessons learned along the way in terms of having a business partner and also going out on your own and transitioning. So I'm really excited for you to hear this interview with Leanne. So let's dive in. I'm so excited. So welcome, Leanne to the podcast today. And why don't we just get started with you telling us a little bit about you and what your company does? Melissa, I'm so excited to be here. I look so forward to every single time I get to talk to you. So thanks for having me. I am a former communication professor turned HR and people ops consultant. And so I specialize in helping businesses engage their employees, retain their employees and develop them, especially their people managers. Amazing. It's such an important time for right now. It usually is, but it seems even more heightened for the type of work that you do and the type of help that you give to your clients in terms of retention and employee satisfaction and fulfillment and all of those kinds of projects. 
It really is. The research right now is pretty alarming when it comes to employee engagement. You know, employee engagement prior to COVID was trending up actually in the United States. And then since since the pandemic hit, it's sort of just been all over the place, but it's trending downward now. And then I think it's no secret that organizations are really struggling to retain employees. Employees have more leverage than they have ever had in a lot of ways in terms of their you know ability to work remotely. Companies are so much more, I think, aware of their capacity to offer benefits that kind of align with people's lifestyles. And so there's so much competition out there. So organizations that are sort of staying ahead of the curve are those that are really diving into kind of the research around employee engagement and retention and development. And so it's been fun. It's been challenging to sort of navigate that over the past few years, for sure. So much fun. All right, Leanne, tell us a little, let's start at the beginning. So tell us why did you become an independent consultant initially? It's funny because I don't know that I even really knew that's what I was becoming. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't. I will say though, my background is in communication. So I have an undergrad and then a master's degree in communication. And when I went to start my master's program, I thought I really want to be a consultant and a trainer, but I wasn't thinking I was going to own my own business. I just assumed I would kind of jump on, you know, somebody else's consulting business train. And so I started going to grad school for that and very quickly was put into a graduate teaching assistant position at the University of Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. And I walked into a college classroom and just fell in love with instructing college students and with the curriculum I was teaching. And so I didn't leave for a really long time. So I was teaching at Texas Tech from 2005 until 2019, when I finally left to pursue this full time. But in 2017, my good friend, her name is Joy, and then she was also a colleague at Texas Tech. We had been talking for a long time about, hey, we should start just kind of this side hustle, like a side gig, you know, in addition to our really demanding full time professor jobs. Let's do a weird thing and start a side <laughs> gig. And, but, you know, the timing was never, it never felt great because. We both had young kids. And again, we had full-time jobs. But in twenty late 2016, kind of early 2017, actually, the story is Joy had to go. She got roped into this professional development training through her husband's company. And she came back from it and she said, Leanne, I went to this thing. They brought in this person. They pay. I know they paid him this much. And listen... Like we are infinitely more equipped to do this kind of training than even this guy. And he was good, but we should totally do this. And so we just sort of said, all right, let's jump in and let's get started. And so we did. And slowly, you know, we started to get our footing and figure out how we were going to juggle this with our full-time job. And then at about six to seven-ish months in, it became really obvious that, okay, this is, we're going to have to make some changes. Either we're going to have to pull back on the side gig or we're going to have to jump all in. And so in 2018, we started kind of putting some things in place for me to exit Texas Tech, which was a job that I enjoyed in so many ways. And then in 2019, I jumped and have been doing this full-time ever since. So it's kind of full circle that I thought I was going to end up in consulting. It took me a bit to get there, but um, yeah, I've been doing that full-time since 2019. Amazing. So you started out with Joy and working together as a partnership. And more recently, you've gone out on your own. And so you've got kind of the second iteration of your business. 
I'd love to talk a little bit about the lessons that you learned in that journey and how you're applying those to what you're doing now. So yeah, Joy and I, we were 50-50 partners from 2017 until late 2021. And then for a lot of reasons, we both decided that we wanted to kind of close the doors on that business. And I really felt just still very passionate and very convicted about the kind of work that I was doing and knew that I wanted to figure out a way to continue to do that on my own, but it was really overwhelming. It was really, it was really scary because I had had sort of this friend and this anchor and this partner all of this time. So in terms of lessons learned, there are so many, I feel like if you're a business owner, you're sort of every day is lessons learned, you know, but I think if I had to sort of narrow it down to two or three big lessons, one, I would say that I figured out pretty quickly that my natural tendency to want to do all of the things was not serving me well. And so just because I can do everything doesn't mean I should do everything is probably the biggest lesson that I learned. And we didn't start sort of thinking that that was going to become a problem for us, but we had one major offering. We were both certified through the Gallup organization to facilitate Clifton Strengths assessments and help teams really develop in that. But then what happened is we would get into an organization and they would see a lot of fruit and a lot of return on their investment there. And so then they would say, Hey, can you all do this? And we would sort of look at each other and go, well, yeah, we can do that. We've got experience in that too. And so the next thing we knew, we had so many just things we were doing and we were over customizing to every single client. And if you are an independent consultant, I think you're always maybe going to struggle with that. But for us, it just sort of got out of control. (laughs) So for me, that was a really big lesson is I have to protect myself from myself, you know, in this version, you know, two of my independent consulting journey is I've got to figure out how to simplify so that I'm doing what I'm very best at and where I bring the most value to organizations and also not, you know, burning myself out. So that's kind of lesson one. And then Man, I think the other sort of big lesson, which is so funny because like the foundation of my entire business is helping organizations learn how to leverage their individual and collective strengths, which somehow I did not figure out (laughs) also applied to me and owning a business (laughs) early on. And so I think the, the other big lesson I learned is I have got to sort of leverage my strengths and lean into those areas, double down in those areas and really cut myself slack in the areas where I'm not strong and either partner with somebody who is, bring on a consultant to help me in those areas, or just frankly, eliminate some of those things that I was putting pressure on myself to do. Uh, So those are probably the biggest lessons, I think. I think it's so fascinating. I can't tell you, it's almost every single consultant that I work with, including myself, We're so good at what we do. And then when we have to apply, either don't even realize this could apply to our own business. We completely have amnesia and don't know how. It's amazing to see that as something that happens for us. And kind and you know, you've got such a good sense of humor about it and not letting it weigh you down, just figuring out how to apply and work around it, like you described. And to your point, I think, you know, we all sort of struggle with that. But then once you, I think, hit your stride sort of in your strengths, I mean, of duh, that where you're getting the most return on your investment. And that's where your clients are, are getting the most value from you. 
And so I got one story. Sometimes I'll share about this with my clients as I'm doing workshops is when I first sort of realized in at the beginning of owning a business, oh, I think that the HR and the people ops kind of community is maybe my target audience, which I wasn't necessarily expecting when we started. I thought we'd maybe work more with small smaller businesses, you know, your C-suite level. And, and we still do. I, I still see, I'm still saying we, um, I still do, but I didn't really anticipate the HR community. But when I figured that out, I started thinking, okay, I need to get speaking at conferences in the HR space. And I was very anxious about that. My role at Texas Tech, I was the director of public speaking. So I was over all the public speaking curriculum. So I'm not anxious really about public speaking, but I was really, really anxious about sort of navigating this new audience in this new space and feeling like oh, I'm going to be viewed as this outsider. And they're going to think, oh, here comes this like annoying academic type who thinks that she's got something new to teach us and that they were going to be resistant to that. So I went to my first HR conference where I had been invited to speak and I was so excited and nervous. And I made the maybe ill-advised decision, which actually ended up working out to my advantage. But I thought on the first day, hey, this person on this program is also going to be speaking on the same thing I'm going to be speaking on. I should go watch that, you know, (laughs) again, probably not the best because I was already feeling anxious and I struggle a lot kind of with confidence when I'm navigating new spaces. And so I loaded up my stuff and I go in to this room where this breakout session is going to be and it's packed. And it's again, the same topic. The topic was employee onboarding Mm. and kind of how do you build engagement and retention through your onboarding processes. And so I sit down and I remember I was scrunched up in this row and there's just people and they all, there's this buzz in the room. I didn't realize that the speaker was a pretty big deal. And Mm. I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head, but she was sort of who I want to be in 15 to 20 years. You know, she'd been on the Today Show and she's written books and she was this expert and everybody was there to see her. And I remember sitting there thinking, what in the world am I doing here? And then why, why would the conference, you know, people have brought me here when they've got this woman who is so experienced and so brilliant. And so I was sitting there and I just felt like I was shrinking the whole time. And I left, I went back to the hotel room. I had already put my slide deck and all my presentations together. And I just felt so defeated. And then it was this aha moment. And I thought, oh my word. Okay. So I cannot compete with her. But in my mind, I just felt like what value could I bring here that she didn't already bring? She's so brilliant and accomplished, but I thought, okay, so I can't really compete in terms of experience, but what do I have that she doesn't? It occurred to me, you know what? I'm going to run this workshop session just like a college classroom. And I'm going to structure it like I would a classroom session, which I've done a million times. I'm going to facilitate conversation. I'm going to talk less and actually open it up more for them to share their experiences with each other. And yeah, there was content there, but it was me leaning into what I already did really, really well. And it went so much better than I think it would have, even if I had delivered the more polished version of the speech, because I was leaning into what I was good at. And I ended up, it was one of the most, like the top four rated sessions at the conference. And I don't say that to to my own horn, except to say that the reason people loved it was because they got to communicate with each other. They got to share their ideas with one another. That was a strength that I brought was it being able to facilitate that. And so to me, it was figuring that out early. Like I've got to lean into my strengths that is 
has, I think, saved me so much heartache, not all the heartache, but a lot of the heartache over the years, for sure. I think that's such an important thing to recognize too, that you were able to recognize that in the moment, because a lot of times we think something about that strength is either, we don't even realize we have the strength because it just feels so natural to us, or we think that something's not right about it and we should try to be that other person. And so for you to be able to pivot in that way and see the strengths and also to be able to really embrace them is such a great lesson. And such a powerful story, I think, for everyone to hear. Well, it was a really very impactful experience for me. And I I do tell that story a lot because I think it would have been easy for me to sort of go in and just try to be like this woman Mm -hmm. was. And she was a wonderful communicator and did such a great job. But I could go in and bring this different thing to the table so that even the attendees that were at her session would have walked away with something different and valuable. And I think that as an independent consultant, figuring out what is that thing that I do that is really unique and where I bring value that maybe others don't and how do I differentiate myself is huge. Mm -hmm. One of the strengths that I see from my vantage point, and I don't know if we've even said this yet, but Leanne is one of my clients. So we work together in depth on a weekly basis. I'm just curious. So one of the strengths that I see from my vantage point in working with you and your business is the reputation that you've built in the industry. And so I'd love to hear more about how you've created that and how you continue to build that. It's something that I think a lot of independent consultants see as a little, can be more challenging. And it's something that seems to come naturally and powerfully for you. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, thank you for that. That means a lot coming from you. I would say when we started, I think the fact that I had this experience as a professor, I sort of had some kind of inherent, like she probably isn't way out in left field about most things, you know, she probably has some knowledge around this, but I was sort of navigating a brand new space and a brand new audience. And so I was teaching a lot of the same things that I've taught for, you know, 14 years, but just to a new group of people. So for me in answering that question, I really do think it was good audience analysis. Again, those are skills that I you know, have acquired just over the years in my educational background and as a professor. I think it was really good audience analysis. It was really, I think, about putting myself out there as not an expert even in the field of my target audience, but saying, hey, this is where my expertise lies. And here's how I can partner with you in the work that you're doing inside your organization to enhance or to, you know, mitigate or whatever it is, boost. And it's always been very important to me when I'm communicating to clients and communicating with clients that they view me not as competition to their success. And sometimes that can be tricky because especially if I'm working with a larger organization, there are times where I can sense some hesitancy or some skepticism even, which is totally warranted. If you're an HR leader and you are day in and day out, you sweat, you cry about your people. And then some, again, former annoying professor is trying to come in here and say, Hey, you should do this and you should do this like that. I never have taken that lightly. I know that that can be, there's risk involved in that for an organization. And so I always really have tried to communicate to the leaders I work with, to the organizations that My role is to come in and equip you, to help train you, to help you maybe identify some blind spots that you have, 
And then I want to be able to backpedal out so that you are set up for success in the long term. And I, so I think that that interpersonally and communicatively is a big part of why people trusted me to continue working with them. You know, they might bring me in with a one day workshop. And then again, they say, Hey, well, can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? And the reason that I think that they keep bringing me back is because they feel like I am for their good. And that's something that is very important to me. And then the other thing I would say in terms of just building a reputation is putting myself out there for speaking opportunities. Again, that's a strength, a more of a strength that I have is public speaking and communication. So I figured out pretty early, I got to put myself out there and be vulnerable. Now there's some parts of it that are, that were harder. I remember one time at the very beginning, someone who, a good friend who is a, works in marketing said, you got to start doing like live webinars. You've got to start doing Facebook lives. And this was pre COVID. So we were, you know, as a culture, we were not as familiar with what it felt like to be on live video. And I remember just wanting to crawl into a hole and no, no, I'm not doing that. But we started doing that even before COVID. And I think it really positioned us well when COVID hit that we were already sort of familiar faces on webinars, on live video. At the time, we had a, a pretty active Facebook group that where we went live every week. So those are some of the things that I did kind of tactically, I think that helped with that. Yeah, that helps, you know, just being able to overcome that fear. And for you, being vulnerable, being out, you know, being willing to put yourself out there, even when it didn't feel comfortable, so that people recognize that face, recognize the name and attach it to a specific challenge that they may need to solve. Maybe not right now, but in the future. And they think of you first when they think about who they might call to help them. That's the hope, right? The other one thing on that, I will say, Melissa, is I was nervous to do some of that live video, putting myself out there because I always sort of felt like I need to be like really very professional, very buttoned up and not that I would be lacking warmth, but just more on the professional side. But what was so interesting is that it was the weird, quirky, just off the cuff stuff that I think made people fans, you know, these leaders. And so that's another lesson I would say is people, they want to work with a person. If you're an independent consultant, your personality is an advantage. Most of us, I guess. No, (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Um, Our personality can be an advantage for us. And so I think when I finally felt comfortable sort of showing a little bit of that or laughing or being silly, you know, and not to the point where people would question my credibility, but just seeing me as a a human being actually made a huge difference in terms of how people I think engaged with us. It's so relevant to what you were saying. People want to bring on consultants who they can trust, who don't feel threatening to them. And that also are, you know, do I want to work with this person on a daily or weekly basis or whatever it might be? They get to choose that. And sometimes you're not getting to choose who your colleagues or peers are when you're hiring employees, but you definitely get to choose if you want to bring on a consultant or not. And so leveraging that personality and being willing to being willing to just be yourself and know that that is an advantage. I love the way you articulated that. There was one funny story about that. I had had a kind of just discovery call with this woman who had found, had seen me on a webinar. And then, so she sets up a meeting with her CEO and as she's trying to introduce me on that call with the CEO, (laughs) she says, 
I love Leanne. She's so great. She's wonderful. And then she said, so what exactly is it that you do? You know, and it was, it was just, it was really funny because I think that's it is she's like, I like her. Maybe I trust her. She seems relatable. I want to work with her and we'll figure out what she's actually going to help us with, you know? And again, that's the only call I've ever had like that. But I think that's sort of speaking to that, that personality and how important it is that people feel like you are relatable and conversational with them as opposed to really buttoned up. And that was something I put pressure on myself at the very beginning to feel like I'm very professional and mm-hmm. I am corporate now. I'm not academia now, I'm corporate, you know? And that was actually very relieving for me to feel like I could be myself. And that it's an advantage. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Another one of your strengths that I see from my vantage point is the clear offering and niche that you've created. So you touched on this a little bit in different ways here today already, but tell us a little more about what exactly is the niche that, as you would articulate it, I know you touched on that in a minute ago, but to refresh our memory. And then also, how do you handle the temptation that, you know, you touched on this, that all the things that I could do versus, you know, really focusing in on what it is that you want, where you want your consulting business to go and turning on way work if you have to or in as a result of that. Melissa, this was and still continues to be really challenging for me because I want to do all of the things. I have fun doing all of the things, you know. <laughs> and so this was really, really hard. I think that the way I ended up choosing the offerings that I have is I really thought through, okay, what are the projects that I did in the past? And I'm not great at reflecting, but it was this was an exercise, a thought exercise I put myself through. What were the projects that I enjoyed the most? And what were some of those common themes and common services that I was providing in those favorites, those clients that I just could not wait to dive in and get started with them? And so what are those areas where I loved what I was doing? I felt like I did it with ease and excellence and enjoyment is a way that I will often describe this sort of process to my clients even is, you know, you're going to find the most energy in the areas where you're, you're having fun, you're loving what you're doing. And so I made a list, I'm a list person. And so I made quite the like brain dump list of all of the different projects that I did and different pieces of that and sort of was trying to figure out, okay, what are the threads here? What are the things that I I can't imagine not doing? And just over some time and then kind of considering even the market and, hey, what am I hearing are the biggest problems facing organizations right now as they think about their people ops and their HR? How do all those things align? And so for me, I landed really on three major things. Keynote speaking is sort of is like business development for me. I love keynote speaking. So, you know, going and doing an hour lecture here or there, or, you know, an association meeting or conference. So that's a lot of business development for me. But then my three major offerings is I help organizations assess their employee engagement. So listen to their employees, get data around that. And I love the data. And then a lot of organizations go, well, what do we, okay, so we got all this engagement data, but what does it mean? What do we do with it? How do we communicate with our employees about that? So I help them with a strategy around their employee engagement surveys and or pulse surveys, uh, just listening posts that they take up. 
Secondly, I do people manager equipping. So organizations will bring me on to do one-on-one and some cohort style coaching with their people managers. So you've got an individual contributor who was phenomenal in his or her role and then suddenly gets promoted and figures out pretty quickly and often painfully that the skill set is very different from being an individual contributor to a people manager. So I help with that. And then the third thing I do, which is probably my very favorite, is Clifton Strengths assessments and training and development, which is what started me. I mean, that was what Joy and I were doing at the very beginning of our business was just uh, Clifton Strengths consulting. And so for me, all of those tools in my toolbox really help me to equip organizations with tools and strategies that they need to improve engagement and retention and profitability and all of those productivity metrics that matter to them. And so it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do and what I wasn't going to do. I remember, Melissa, one time you told me, and I wrote it down furiously, you said, we have to get you comfortable with what you've decided not to do. Mm -hmm. And it was like, (laughs) that was tough. And it's still hard. I still, I've already had clients that, you know, will say, oh, well, can you do this for us? And I've had to like, no, I don't. And that's a hard email to send, but also felt good. That's great. Let's switch gears a little bit. So the pricing models that you've created that go along with these offerings are value-based and that's where most consultants want to get to. So you're pricing things off of the value you're delivering to your clients rather than the time you're spending to deliver to the clients. So I'm just curious as you think about the way you priced things out and developed that type of business model, what advice would you give to other consultants who are wanting to achieve the same thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Again, I sort of didn't even know that that was a thing that I was doing until (laughs) much later. We would laugh that when we started, we were just Googling things. We're like, how do you run a business? You know, we didn't know. We were very passionate about this one thing, but we didn't know any of that. And I can remember just times when Joy and I would sort of look at each other like a client would say a term or an acronym and we're nodding and just like writing it down because we don't know what that is. We're going to learn. We're going to figure it out though. And so I don't know, Melissa, we sort of intuitively ended up doing value-based pricing. I don't know how. I don't know where that knowledge base came from to start that way, but we just did. And it wasn't until years later that we realized that there were a lot of consultants that didn't do value-based pricing or project-based and they were doing more hourly stuff. So we didn't know. But what's interesting is that in all the years that we were submitting proposals that were you know, reflecting value-based pricing, we didn't have anyone ever ask us, hey, we really would prefer to pay hourly. Mm-hmm. And so I think advice that I might give is if you're thinking about you know, making that switch, know that there's probably not as much hesitation on the other side, as you might worry that there is, at least that was not our experience. We never had anybody say, well, this is odd how Mm -hmm. you've decided to structure this. You know, most people do hourly based stuff. So, so that's one thing. And then I would say another kind of little quote that I love is one time I was listening to a podcast and a woman, again, I wish I could remember her name. I cannot, but she said for pricing that her strategy is fear plus 10%. And I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. And just as kind of a mantra, like fear plus 10%. And so I actually had that on a sticky note 
in our office for a long time <laughs> because it can be, I remember those first couple of times, and even now I still feel this way sometimes sending a proposal that's value-based pricing and you just think, okay, here goes. And maybe they'll ghost me, maybe they won't. But so I would say make the leap because we didn't experience hesitation around that at all. That's amazing. One of my um, former colleagues from corporate who I've known forever, and he has an Irish accent, so it sounds better when he says it, but he always (laughs) says it's better to be lucky than good. And in some ways, right, it's like somehow you fell into this value-based pricing that a lot of consultants make so much drama over. How do I articulate this value? And you just kind of unknowingly went into that. I love how you pointed that out. There were no objections because you believed in it. You thought it was the quote unquote right way to do it and that it made sense. And so it was so much without the friction on your side, then that client isn't reflecting that friction on their side either. Absolutely. I cannot think of one time we had anybody say anything to us about that. Amazing. So take that as encouragement. If you think that as encouragement for sure. Right. Exactly. If you're game to share, let's talk a little bit about our coaching work together. So let's do it. Okay. Tell me, why did you decide to hire a coach? I've actually wanted for a long time to hire a coach, but as you know, it never made it to sort of like the top tier of my to-do list. It was always like a would love to do that, but just never kind of elevated it up enough, unfortunately. But then when I started the transition of closing down the business that I was co-owning, and wrapping up all of those projects and knew, okay, I'm pretty sure I want to relaunch independently, but that's overwhelming to me because I've had this partner and benefited from just having another person there to bounce my ideas off of and somebody else who's to blame at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> and so I knew I really wanted to have someone who is experienced, who could help me sort of filter through a lot of my indecision. And we talk about strengths. One of my my strengths is not being really decisive. I always sort of second guess and I'm kind of a risk assessor by nature. And that can be a strength, but can also really get me in trouble because then I'm overanalyzing everything and I'm I'll make a decision and then this will drive my this drives my husband absolutely crazy. He's like, didn't you already decide this? Yes, but here's the four other things I've thought of, you know? So I knew I needed someone to really help me and it was a difficult transition. It really was. And I knew I needed help. And so that's why I decided to go ahead and jump in and, and try to find a coach. So then tell us, how did you decide what coach to hire? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and, you know, there's like five gajillion, you know, coaches on LinkedIn, as you know, there are. <laughs> and, um, and and varying levels of experience and competence for sure, you know, but I knew I really wanted somebody who specialized in consulting and specifically with corporate consulting clients. And, and so I knew that I had a couple of contacts of people who did more sort of cohort style, almost like masterminds, which I think I probably would have really enjoyed. And I could have gotten a lot of, a lot out of, but I think just where I was sort of in that transition was such a challenging and grieving in a lot of ways time for me that I felt like I really needed some one-on-one attention and help. And so I, I kind of filtered out those that were more group cohort style coaching. And then I was taking my son on a volleyball trip to Colorado 
funny enough. Was it ironically no, yeah. Oklahoma? <laughs> I, maybe I lied. Maybe I can't remember. We went to a lot of places. <laughs> anyway, I was on a long road trip. I live in Texas. I was on a long road trip and I had listened sort of just all the podcasts in my queue. And I thought, Kelly's there's got to be a podcast about, I mean, consulting. And I found you and sort of binged 14 episodes or something on the way there and back and was just like, I felt very much aligned with your approach. And you said you were like a list person too. I could tell you're about <laughs> very tactical, very practical. And so I just felt very much like this is a person that I would love to work one-on-one with. And so, yeah, I signed up for a call and the rest is history. So I love that full circle moment, right? You found me partially through the podcast and here you are on the podcast. I love those full circle moments. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what was it like working together? The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. The good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, there was no ugly. And the bad was only bad because I made it bad. (laughs) Because of my own, again, maybe indecision, right? But you were so encouraging and helpful and like helped me clarify so many things. One thing I would say, if you're thinking about, you know, working with Melissa is that there's such a like poise and just you're so calm. And I, I feel like I would get on and I was always looked forward to every single call I was so excited about, but I always felt a little frantic just because that was, I was in the process of rebuilding everything and restructuring everything. And you were just like calm and poised and kind of, hey, we'll experiment with this. And if this doesn't work, we can try this. And that is just like mind blowing to me because that is not how my brain works as I'm an sort of, I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to stick to it for 20 years, which is why, you know, I was in such a challenging place, I think in the first place with transitioning out of my business and you were calm and so thoughtful and clarifying, such a good listener. And so that was incredibly helpful. One of the funny things, I was actually just telling somebody this the other day that I wasn't expecting because I'm just not a big, again, I'm not big on like reflecting and doing a lot of thought work, which gets me in trouble, you know, obviously. <laughs> and but I remember there was this one sort of very tactical sort of exercise that we were working through. And I had, it was like a, a document, a vision planning. I was working through it. And you'd said, okay, so as you're working on this document and answering all these questions, then also work on this side document. It was, I think, inner critic journal, maybe is, is I can't remember exact title of it. Yep. But I remember thinking like, okay, mindset work, I'll do this mindset work stuff, you know? But what was really funny is as I was working on it, it was like, okay, what's your sales, like your average sales, you know, cycle length? And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know that. And so then then I'm over here in the inner critic journal going, a real business owner would have this data, would know this. And so it was so helpful. And then being able to look back and say, oh my goodness, these are all the things that that are sort of going on in the back of my mind all the time as I'm trying to build content, as I'm trying to make decisions about strategy, as I'm thinking about how to work with clients. Like there's all this stuff running in the background, these tabs that are open almost in the background of my mind that I'm not even aware of because I just am such a like check, check, check person and move past it. So that was incredibly helpful, hard. So that's why I said the hard stuff, but so, so helpful. I felt very supported and guided, really, which was a huge thing that I needed in that process of transition for me. So it was 
such a good experience and highly recommend finding a coach, Melissa, you know, who (laughs) um, can bring that expertise and that experience, but also is just interpersonally very warm and calm. If you're feeling frantic like me, um, (laughs) Melissa Lieberman's a good match. I appreciate that. In fact, I actually have my own coach who has the same exact calm thing happening because I (laughs) go on those calls in the same way. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Also full circle. It's such an honor to work with you and been such an honor to see where you started from, which was kind of a blank piece of paper. I'm ready to start the second iteration of my business. What is that going to look like? And you know, what am I crafting here all the way to where you are now with you know, we were talking earlier before we started the interview about the pipeline you've created and the set of clients you've created and the visibility into your revenue. And so incredible to see how far you've come. And um, I can't wait to see where, where it takes you. One question I'd love to dive into here before we wrap up is you've got a lot of irons in the fire, Leanne. You've got your kids, your family, you think of still being a part-time professor and also the business that you're running. So tell us a little. And then, of course, as we're recording, this is the summer. So adds a whole other level to it as a mom. So tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about that and how you're approaching your capacity management and the way you're balancing everything in a way that will help you to run this in a sustainable way without burning out. In part, I have always been a very structured and routined person. So like when I need to calm myself down, true story, I am like working in my calendar or my planner. That's just the kind of person I am. So what has always sort of worked for me is like time blocking. I have two days a week and I've sort of always tried to do this. And again, it's not perfect every week, but I try to have two days a week that are just reserved for kind of backstage stuff. So I'm not actually engaging with clients those days, except for maybe email correspondence or stuff like that. But those are my days where I do all of the back end things. And so that helps me not get too far behind in some of those things that really, really matter. But then otherwise, I'm so structured that I will be like, okay, Monday afternoons, I do this specific thing. Okay, Tuesdays, these are the five tasks I do, Wednesdays. And that stresses some people out. My former business partner, Joy, is very creative and innovative. And so her strength was not as much in organization. But she brought so much, you know, so many other things to the table. But she'd be like, if you get your calendar out, I'm like, ah. <laughs> but so that's one thing for me is, is the time blocking and kind of themed days. The other thing I would say that has been really important for me over the years is I try as best I can to have one day a week that is sort of like my Sabbath. Like I don't work at all, at least one day a week. And sometimes that's Saturday, Sunday, sometimes it's Friday. I try to have a full day where I'm not working. And that is for me sort of an act of trust to say, there's always more work to do. There's always more things for my checklist brain to want to check off. But I trust that that work's going to be there and I'm going to be okay laying it down for a day. So that's the way I don't I keep myself from really burning out. And then to your point about the summer, most of the time, you know, when my kids are in school, I have three kids and they're sort of all over the place with activities. I work really hard to not work in the evenings when they're Mm -hmm. home. And that means sometimes I may need an hour or so after they go to bed, but that's very important to me. Again, it's the summer. So all bets are off now. (laughs) uh, That's not the case over the summer, but those are some of the things I do. But the last thing I'll say about this is, The capacity planning 
is, has been such a good thing for me to go through that process because I'm really good at calendaring, but I'm also sort of a a high achieving brain. And so I will calendar myself too much. And so knowing this is how many jobs, like how many projects I need each month to meet my goals. And I'm going to sort of, if I meet that, I'm going to have to push these clients back, you know, and say, Hey, I can start in September instead of August, which is challenging for me. But that's been so good for me to feel the freedom of that kind of to know what my capacity is. Yeah. To have those guardrails, kind of that business model that we sketched out, that business plan. It also, I think helps you tell me if this is wrong, but I think it also helps to really get that line of sight into the overall revenue for the year. And so then you're not constantly feeling like, well, I don't want to leave money on the table. So I'll say yes to everything. And then you end up burning out from that perspective. Absolutely. I know what I need. And I know that if I structure things that way, I'm going to be delivering the most value to my clients anyway, because I'm not going to be showing up with too many tabs open. Right. You know, I'm definitely (laughs) stealing this. I love it so much. I usually have 50 tabs open on my computer. And so it's the same thing in our brain, right? All of these subconscious thoughts going on, most of them are not in our favor. Yeah, so good. I love that visual. So I'll attribute it to you anytime. (laughs) A good memory for sure. Tell us um, what else we've covered so much ground today. You've shared so many strategies and tactics and tips and mindsets. Tell us, is there anything else we haven't covered that you wanted to share? I think the only other thing I would say is, you know, in addition to working with a coach, which was again, so valuable and I cannot recommend it enough. I also would say that if you find yourself in a season where you are really struggling or you're transitioning out of an environment that was challenging, that I also say, go find yourself a really great counselor. That was another thing that I did that I sort of was I had sort of like the coach and the counselor working, you know, in tandem, which was so helpful and just bring different perspectives and different value to the table. I think as a business owner, it's so much heavier sometimes than we realize and we put so much pressure on ourselves that there's a lot to unpack. And even in counseling or with Melissa, you know, with you, I would say something and my counselor or you would go like, Hey, okay, let's, let's backtrack. And like, you just said this. Let's talk about that, you know? So if you are in a period of transition, you know, a coach is so valuable, but also if you have the margin, getting a counselor can really help you with some of that. Some of the really hard parts of what you've experienced, I can't recommend enough because that is those two things I credit with the coaching and the, the counseling, I credit with really, I think, helping me transition well, and time will tell, but transition well uh, through the past year, which was challenging. So many of my clients have counselors, therapists. I think it helps them to get further faster and a lot of complementary sort of like seeing themes, themes in personal life and professional life and just being able to blend all of that together can be so impactful. Absolutely. Well, and because there's some things that, you know, your counselor can speak to that your coach can't and vice versa. So like my counselor can't say, Hey, here's some tried and true strategies for lead generation and consulting businesses. She she didn't know that I needed help with that too, but she didn't know that. So I think 
for me, and I realized that I, and I feel so fortunate to have the resources that I do to have coaching and to have counseling. And I realize not everybody is maybe in that place, but as much as you can and have margin, I highly recommend it because it made a huge difference for me. Amazing. Leanne, thank you so much for being here. I feel so grateful the podcast brought us together and that I've been able to work with you. And I appreciate the time and the uh, transparency and vulnerability from what you shared today. I know it will help so many other consultants out there as well to achieve their own business goals. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was highlight of my day as always. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Mine too. All right. I'll talk with you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me this week on the Grow Your Independent Consulting Business podcast. If you liked today's episode, I have three quick next steps for you. First, click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to make sure you don't miss future episodes. Next, leave me a review in your podcast app so other independent consultants can find and benefit too. And finally, to put the ideas from today's episode into action, head over to melissalieberman.com for the show notes and more resources to help you grow your consulting practice from your first few projects into a full-fledged business. See you next week.